Conversations with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast. And speaking of music, that song that played me in is called You Sure Can Kill a Sunday Part 1 from the album I Just Want to Be Wild for You by Maida. And it is out on Kill Rock Stars. And as you probably guessed, my guest is Maria Maida Kepler. And the album is out. In the show notes, there is a link to the Bandcamp, so you could go buy it. It is also on streaming platforms, but you could buy it and then stream it, and then it's double, that's more money for the artist. And I like to give money to artists. It's important. Um, This is a really great conversation. She is a native Oregonian, now lives in Portland, and she's currently touring. All the information for All Things Meta are in the show notes. Please explore the world of Meta. Uh, speaking of guests and artists, I recently got to see Ryan Sambal play live. My good friend. I don't know. Maybe he's not my good friend. But we're friends. We became friends because Ryan Sambal, formerly of the Strange Boys, now who has great solo workout on Perpetual Doom. Uh, we became friendly because of the podcast. I went and saw him play. And then I also saw Austin Leonard Jones, who's also on Perpetual Doom. Austin is going to be on the show in the future, but uh, just saying, if you haven't heard Austin Leonard Jones, great stuff. But I try very hard on the podcast to have music that I like, like Maria Maida Kepler. I try to have music that I like. Uh, I veered away from that a couple times uh, and tried to please people, labels, etc. And uh, hopefully I won't ever do that again. <laughs> I don't, I, I, it's, you know, whatever, you have to do things to make relationships, etc., but, um, I try the show, for the show to be a reflection of what I like, and which, thus, I'm also trying to branch out a little way from indie rock, and if you've noticed, I had a jazz fellow on, I had Charles Gabriel on a few weeks ago, a 90-year-old jazz guy at that, but, uh, speaking of my show, if you go to themattdwyer.com, you could find all things Matt Dwyer, social media, merchandise. Got some nice shirts there. As well as you could become a Patreon subscriber. And for $5, you get bonus content. You get uh, the unedited version of these interviews. Often they go on for far more than an hour. You get the video, um, blogs, all kinds of stuff. And a pin. If you want a pin of my logo, you could have that. Also, on my website, I'm currently... Not currently, but I, I'm consulting. If you want to start a podcast and you have a lo- loose idea and you don't know how to flush it out and make it a realized full concept, I can help you do that. I've worked with some of the biggest names in comedy and music. I recently consulted on a show with Rick Rubin. Um, I produced Painting with John on HBO, which became a part of uh, because of this podcast. Um, I also can just simply edit your podcast, but I can also help, you know, help you build it and how to get it out there. And so if you have no idea how to do that, go to my website. I have a consulting page and you could reach out to me and I will help you bring your idea of a podcast to life. Also, if you want to have a website for that podcast or just a website in general, kellyrdewire.com, my partner in life, builds websites. She's also a great photographer. But if you need a website, she does a lot of big podcast websites. Mine my favorite murder, ologies. Uh, she does them for actors and politicians. She does all kinds of websites. So if you need a website, kellyrdwire.com. All of this is in the goddamn show notes. <laughs> 
all of it in the goddamn show notes. And you can find all the stuff for Meta. So, but if you want to follow me on social media, all that, and I think, I, I mean, I did. I recently started a Facebook page for the podcast, but I fucking hate Facebook. And more specifically, I hate that fucking douche who started it. <laughs> I mean, I really just, fuck the billionaires. But um, I created it, the Facebook page, because my daughter wanted to do uh, the chat thing on there. She wants to chat with me on there, because who wants to talk to me in person? So that's the only reason I started it. I'm very opposed to it, but I want to please my kid. So there's a Facebook page now. <laughs> really fucking excited about it. Anyway, um, that is the show intro. Please enjoy my conversation with Maria Meta Kepler. I won't lie to you, Maria, that... Uh, I really, I really lived up to the Irish stereotypes. <laughs> I mean, I think that uh, that's pretty much how it is in a lot of places for a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, Portland, I feel like most, a lot of people drink. Everyone drinks. There's a, just a culture. I've spent, I grew up in Chicago and I spent a significant time. I've used to go up to Portland a lot and it's, mm -hmm. it's very similar to Chicago in the fact that there's just bars fucking everywhere. Mm -hmm. And like mm -hmm. having yeah. drinks with lunch is like not really considered a poor choice. <laughs> yeah, right. Are you a big do you are you a big boozer? Um, I you know the the thing with drinking, I like I like it socially. Um, it's something to try to be careful of. I think, especially as a mu musician, because we get a lot of free drinks and that's just something that can become a little bit of a pattern to be like oh it's free i should drink this also um <laughs> it's like night after night you're in a bar and you start to like bars are just kind of designed to make you drink right so um if that's where you're at night after night on tour, it can start to feel like oh yeah i was at the bar last night i'm at the bar tonight i'm going to be at the bar tomorrow uh it's really hard to break that like thought pattern of like, this is where I should be drinking. So um, I think like being really conscious of that as a musician is really important. Yeah. Yes. There's also that American thing. Like you said, it's free. It's like, if you're an American and it's free, you're like, well, I should just shove as much as this in my face as I possibly. <laughs> that's why, yeah. That's why the buffet is such a big thing in this country. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, um, <laughs> I know. I love, I love a buffet. It's like you panic. You're like, Oh my God, is this all mine? <laughs> um, I was, I went, I was in Japan a few years ago and I went to a buffet and all you can eat buffet in Japan. And, um, the, the, uh, all you can eat buffets in Japan are timed. So it's like you, you only get an hour and a half to eat everything that you want. And, uh, when I first learned that I was like aghast, I was like, what? Like we, you can't just, you don't, it's not limitless. Like why, why would you make an all you can eat buffet and then put a time limit on it? And what I didn't think about is like, you don't actually spend that long eating at a buffet anyways, because <laughs> right. Like you pile on all the food and you eat it 
and you, then you, cause you don't have to wait for like table service. You don't have to wait for like courses or whatever. It's literally like, I'm just going to eat all. And you're not really, uh, centered and like enjoying your meal. Cause it's just like this, like slop, like <laughs> piled onto your plate, like not even arranged or plated. Well, it's just like, you know? Yeah. And when I was in Japan, I was like, I'm just gonna, Oh God, I have to like really hurry up and like eat everything. And like, so I was rushing and like feeling really like, like watching the time and I had the worst time ever. Like it was just not a very pleasant meal at all. It was like a game show. It was like a game show. And then my friend who was Japanese was just like, you know, like you don't have to hurry. Like we don't, it doesn't take people very long to eat at a natural speed. And uh, and she was right. So were the portions, cause I just like, I think of American buffets and it's just like, there's always like a lot of, uh, cheese i'm trying to like cottage cheese <laughs> it's like and it's uh-huh. all is are the portions different or is it more i just i mean there's different kinds of foods for sure like it'll be like um japanese curry and like yakisoba and like salmon i mean it's way better you know yeah <laughs> it's ours way is better to, uh, our stands just to be you know how many carbs and things that clog your heart yeah. would be in in this uh, 12 foot yeah <laughs> oh my god okay uh yes and eating breakfast at a hotel in japan like a continental breakfast like when they say breakfast is included it's also like like a continental breakfast like it's a buffet basically but it's the most amazing thing i've ever had like it's like um udon noodles and like miso soup and like like s'more salmon and like like vegetables like marinated and steamed vegetable like like spinach and like skimono it's just all in rice and cur- like it's just so good and it's it's breakfast i want to go to japan so fucking yeah, me too <laughs> <laughs> was it kind of a lot because it's like when you leave the country or even certain parts of america you're like oh man we are really just got it wrong with so many things which is not really yeah. i mean we could go into so many topics in that one <laughs> How yeah america fucks yeah. up but oh you mean like what what else do i notice or oh is like yeah I, I, I mean was that just to, like to yeah was that alarming the first time to see that of just like oh we're we just don't eat well or whatever I think it's hard to tell right right away. Like when I was a kid and I would go to Japan, it's like you you don't really know, like because you really love a lot of things about America and you don't really realize like that they're not great. Like I, yeah, I love McDonald's as a kid, right? Like yeah. I love I love Walmart. Like I love going to like I don't know. I love I love American TV. Like it's just what you know. And so that's like what you love. And so you might go to a foreign country and be like, this is like uh, unfamiliar to me. It's not as good as what we have at home. And so I think it wasn't until like later, like into adolescence, that first trip that you go when you're like feeling more like an adult and you have a little bit more perspective and then you're like, Oh, that actually makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And McDonald's is like my daughter, her uncle took her to McDonald's and now it's just like, it just, it's like brainwash in one fucking visit. And she, that's all she wants. And we'll drive by it. And she's like McDonald's. And I'm like, I never wanted you to have this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's it's hard. I mean, and then the Happy Meal thing. Yeah. I don't even know if they still do that, but uh, they do, and that's what fucked okay. me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was because we were talking about drinking, and I read this really interesting story about your song. Uh, I'm going to screw up the name of the song. Somebody, someone lost their 
goddamn wallet and the story yeah. behind that, which was fascinating to me because you were saying you were at a high school party and getting drunk and then you had this moment of like, we're all going to die someday. <laughs> and why this stuck out to me too is because I used to be that person in high school and like have these existential thoughts. And I kind of thought I was the only person who would think that in high school. Uh-huh. Like, we have these people have no fucking idea what's going on. <laughs> it's like, and I'm just curious if you know where that came from at such a young age. I mean, okay. For first of all, just a correction. It was college. Oh, for you know my parents who are not even going to listen to this, but whatever. Just letting it, letting it was college. <laughs> um, I think I went to like two high school parties when I was in high school. I was I was pretty like I wasn't like uh, on the scene in high school. <laughs> I guess it was, yeah, um, pretty much at home. And then college was when you're like, ooh, parties. Um, not that I was 21. I guess it doesn't really matter. It's just all the same thing. Um, but, uh, so I guess I always, I've, I'm like guilty of being the kind of person who always thinks about the end of something, even as I'm starting something. So like from as long as I can remember, like if I'm really excited to go on vacation as a kid, like to go to grandma's house or to go to summer camp, like so so excited I can't I can't even sleep the night before but then like as I get into the car to go start the trip in my head I'm like oh in five days I'm gonna be coming home it's all gonna be over <laughs> like that's just how I've always lived my life it's like I start yeah I just start thinking about the end of something right right when it's starting so I think that is pretty natural for life for me as well <laughs> it's like oh this is a fun ride uh especially when it's at the most fun I'm like oh this is all gonna be over at some point um so yeah <laughs> yeah it's just how my brain works I guess yeah because I I feel like there was events in my childhood that sort of make uh, woke not woke me up but like was like hey life is fragile and it's not this fucking la 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 fun time <laughs> that every and it's like it just never left me and it's like it's it's like a people just don't think about death which i think it even it's just weird to me and i think a lot of that's western culture to to a degree yeah totally i mean i think a lot i don't know like i feel like it's pretty natural for for young people to go through that thought process at least at some point like right i don't know there's like usually like whether it's like a period of weeks or months or something where we have an ex- existential crisis at yeah. a young age and you realize like what death means if you, you know, I think it's pretty natural. I was, gonna, um, yeah, as you said that I was thinking, cause I was in high school before Colum- Columbine and I, and like my partner was in high school for Columbine. So I think that there's that different, I think there's a different click of like generational, not that like, I, that just made it sound like my partner is like, 12 <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's, uh, it's age appropriate but I'm just saying <laughs> yeah but like Good. I think that and like now climate change and all these things that the younger folk younger people think of these things more often than say my generation did definitely yeah because they're like under the weight of the impending doom of the end of the world due to climate crisis and their schools are constantly getting like you know, they're under warning for like school shooters. And I think, yeah, kids these days also, they have access to all of it um, at such a fast speed through social media and the news and stuff. So yeah, they're having a serious, pretty serious time, I think. 
Yeah. Was mm-hmm. that was that an element of your high school life at all? The, you know, that sort of existential. The, um, in high school, in high school, I think. Also, uh, and you said you did. You were your parents like because you mentioned you didn't. Uh, you didn't want your parents to know maybe that you drank in high school or that the party, I was just curious if that too was. An- <laughs> well, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really drink in high school, <laughs> but, um, uh, let's see, I guess the whole like existential part, I, I, I don't think other people were really talking about it openly in high school. I would say college is when people like kind of start actually having those conversations, at least from my, from when I was in high school, like, people weren't really like you'd have a couple like tragedies that happen in school that would make people like really sad but I don't think it was connected to this bigger picture like for everyone it would be like just like certain pockets of people um so I don't know if people were talking about it when I was in high school I I think maybe maybe a lot more people were having that private conversation with themselves but not really like like I like my like I was but maybe not talking about it in in a group setting <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you started because i read that you started playing music in high school and you and that was the first time you performed I, was there music was that an, a thought before you performed the first time in high school or uh, like uh the the existential crisis stuff or oh, like no the, no just playing in the, gen, or just music i was trying to switch to the music oh so you're oh. switching gears okay we can leave the <laughs> we can leave thinking about mortality and stuff behind. I'm sure um, it'll come back. It always comes back. Um, so I think that I was really into playing music and singing when I was like very small and, uh, wasn't good at it. And I, I like, you know, my, I have a couple very honest, brutally honest people in my life who I think I was like, you know, nine or eight they were just like you need to you need to learn how to sing like you need to (laughs) like basically like told me like to stop doing what I was doing at least around them and I very much took that to heart and uh sent myself into development basically for 10 years six years I don't know um and then like did a lot of like uh, I was just like, okay, I'm not a singer. I don't sing. And then at some point, like in late, like early high school, I guess I started listening to these artists that had like more like voices that more resembled mine and realized like, oh, maybe I can sing. Like, I'm not going to be able to like belt it out. Like, you know, Christina or Brittany, right? But <laughs> It's crazy to me. Somebody would say that to a nine-year-old and like, were their intentions good like hey we're gonna save you the trouble of this or oh they were just annoyed it was my family like they're just like this is annoying like stop singing (laughs) (laughs) it's a guy with two daughters who sing all the time i get it but i don't i i don't tell you know i'm i just tolerate it and be like you're the best (laughs) that's you know i will say it made me get better maybe it's good to like I, I suppose it wasn't like very constructive criticism. It was just kind of like, yeah. 
Yeah. So maybe maybe it would have been better if it was constructive criticism. I don't know. But. I don't know. I just uh, like think of myself as a kid and I was wanted to be creative and um, I wanted to play trumpet. My dad was like, you don't have the hands for the trumpet. And I was like, he didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> oh, yeah. But it was like this, like, okay. And I never thought about it again instead of like, and my dad laid asphalt. He knew nothing about the fucking trumpet. Just wow. as a side note. <laughs> yeah. Do you play the trumpet? No, I never. I, I later I bought a drum set and I wasn't. And then I was like, "Oh, I'm not good at this." And so I mm. went to writing and things like okay. that. Okay. But yeah. I wanted to be a musician really badly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, I mean, I do think like there's like so many ways to be a musician. So it's just about finding which way is is your way. Yeah, and I don't know what you sounded like at nine, but like. I would have never, like, when I heard your music for the first time, I was like, thought your voice was incredible. Thank you. I, I practiced. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Did you, yeah. did you sort of develop that organically or did you at one point go, all right, I'm going to take a class on how to do this? I, uh, well, what happened was I learned, I got a, a driver's license and because I was so like not into, I didn't sing at home cause I had been told not to. So I, um, I just, this makes, makes them sound really like villainous. It wasn't, it was like, I, I just really, uh, I'm very sensitive to what people think of me, at least at that age, you know, you're what you're like in middle school, of course you're sensitive to what people think of you. Um, and so I was just like, Oh, they don't like, it wasn't like a, you shall not do this. Like this is house rules. It was like, I just really took what they said to heart and I was too embarrassed to sing at home ever. Um, so when I got a driver's license and I got my, Ooh, I'm getting breakfast delivered. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, breakfast delivered. (laughs) Um, uh, so when, um, so yeah, so when I got a driver's license, I suddenly had this like private pod that I could practice in and, and then that coincided with me like kind of finding my own music that I really enjoyed listening to, which had voices that I think fit my my instrument better. Like I was listening to a lot of like Regina Spector and Cat Power and Feist and just literally learned to sing from like singing their songs over and over again in my car. That's great. Did they, the, I'm going to take a guess that also mo- helped mold your songwriting style? Totally. I mean, yeah, yeah, some of it, like Feist for sure. So there was some cool, Regina Spectre was just always so like whimsical and uh, I never felt like, I always felt like, oh, that's like really, like I think I didn't connect with her. So I didn't connect with her songwriting as something that I would, that would be my speed as much. Um, I loved her songs, but I was just like, that's very much her thing. Um, I was really like, I think more songwriting wise, I was inspired a lot by like the bright eyes, like Elliot Smith, like, uh, iron and wine, more folk songwriting, I guess. I also didn't play the piano. Maybe if I played the piano, it would have been different too. <laughs> so. When you first performed though was that when you performed at your high school was that a moment where you it clicked for you and you thought okay I can do this um yeah it was it was like um I it was for an open mic for this literary magazine uh that are that a few high schools in town like shared 
um, it was at Tsunami Books in Eugene, Oregon. And I was, a, I played a cover and it was Between the Bars by Elliot Smith. And I thought that I had a good voice, but I wasn't, but it, I hadn't shown it to anyone yet. Um, I wasn't sure. Like, cause you just don't know how you sound like you don't, you're so close to yourself. You, how, how would you know? Um, but I like showed my friend before I played, I just played the song for her and she's a dear friend, very non-judgmental. And it still took me like legit, like 20 minutes to start the song. Like I sat in front of her with the guitar and it took me 20 minutes to get the word out. Like I was shaking and like, it wouldn't come out. Um, for one person because I was like, I've never shared this. This is brand new. You're the first, first, first pair of ears that's ever going to hear me sing. And I have no idea if I'm good or bad, like no concept. I just, you know, I was prepared for, for her to be like, for to be like, actually like, no, this is not a good, like, you just don't know what's a, what's good and bad. Like you just, right. it's, which it's so, uh, and it's, it is like, definitely in the ear of the beholder right but you know I just you never never know so yeah I I did that and then she was like oh my god that's that's is great you should totally perform and so I performed and I got really good response and I was like okay now, now I know that I, I'm, I'm good at this that's that's good yeah that's a pretty incredible I don't know do you feel like that was took a lot of courage to like there must have been something driving at you to to keep at this and do this. Cause it seems like something you were focused on since you were nine years old. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I was really, I don't know why I was so compelled. I think I just like loved, I had fallen so hard in love with music, um, with listening to music, like so, so deeply like connected to the, the pursuit of the my favorite song or like the best album or like that feeling that music can give you as a listener. And I just really wanted to be able to create that myself too um, and be part of the conversation. And um, it was just like, because I loved music so much, it was always going to be something that I wanted to try doing. I, if, if in that moment people had been like, yeah, you're, you're not, like this isn't maybe for you. I would have stepped away and done something else. I think, um, but since, since it, that wasn't what happened, I kept doing it. I guess. Yeah, it's just such a pivotal moment, and I'm always fascinated mm-hmm. by how many creative people, just, even when there's like doubt or people saying otherwise, that there's just something always underlying that keeps them going. I, I and like that the conflict of confidence, I guess, because you're like, part of you is going, I can fucking do this. And then part of you is going, I don't know. And it's like, it's amazing (laughs) to me that people overcome it. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, I mean, I do think I'm pretty like sensitive. And the thing is that because I shut myself away for so long (laughs) and didn't, and let myself like get to a point where I, I was like, okay, I feel confident without any ears or eyes on me. Um, that's how, that's how my process worked out. Like I still do that where I don't let people hear a song that's like partially finished. Like I, if a song is unfinished or if I'm in the middle of writing it in whatever way, or if I just don't feel like it's ready, 
I will not share that with people. Like I only share things that I feel are ready because like I am very sensitive. And if I get like kind of knocked down in the process of doing something, I just, I tend to be like, Oh, it's not good. I walk away, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that's important because I feel like so many people reveal stuff before it's finished. And then plus it's somebody's opinion, but it could be the wrong one at the wrong time and it can fuck your, it's true. It's yeah. I just had this happen to me. That's why. And I was like, why? And I knew the guy would do this. <laughs> well, you're with kill rock stars and that's, but like, did you come up against sort of any of that adversity when you were trying to get your music out there? I mean, I think we all do at some point and, um, because people like to categorize things and put things in lanes and understand things in that way and then say yes or no to things based on what category it's in or what lane it's in. And, um, I mean, I, I'm trying to think if there was ever a specific, specific time that that's happened to me. Um, but I mean, we think about it all the time. Like, I think like, you know, in our, in the music industry, like there's so many issues with it, but, um, there's like, (laughs) there's like a tendency for things to be like, Oh, you have to have a certain amount of numbers to be considered for this. Like in terms of like streams or like followers or whatever, or like you have to be like a certain genre to be considered for this. Or like, you don't have this, like you're going to be too loud for this or too quiet for this. Or like, you know, I think like, that's like, there's times where like, we know that like we like I'll feel like there's no point in trying for that because that is just not what they're going to be looking for um and I think some of that is very valid and then sometimes it's like a voice in your head that's just telling you that before you even start because you're just scared of failure um so I don't know it's it's tricky yeah yeah because when I was reading about you the labels they throw at your music I'm like I don't it's all over the place and I'm like some of it I don't even agree with I'm like I I don't know I don't hear that but it's just like what is the need to pigeonhole and label everything everything (laughs) yeah I know and I do I I sympathize because I think a lot of our songs are all over the place and that's been something that we've kind of started to embrace Um, at first we were a little bit worried because I just like our records some songs are very quiet and folky and some songs are very loud and rock and roll and um they all exist in the same record so i get it like we had this this uh for the longest time since i was playing solo and or like duo a lot when i was starting like it was very um folk folk music like never a drum kit like you know never a rhythm section and on the scene like I was kind of making like my like connections in the folk scene in Portland. And, um, at a certain point we were like, no, we want to be a rock band. Like that was just really what was speaking to me. And so there was this big battle to like, be like, no, we're a rock band. Like, please recognize us as a rock band. Like we're not a folk band. Like we want to play, like we want to be in the rock scene. Like we don't, you know, we want to be playing these, certain like festivals or these certain bills that are, are for louder bands. Um, and it was so hard to make that switch 
like people just we <laughs> we were super bummed because we played this house show that was just so fun. It was like packed, it was loud, it was grimy, and it was like uh just like a really great rock and roll show. And we had some one like press like outlet happened to be there, I think for like from PSU or something. And they ended up writing about it, a review of the house show. Um, and they had walked like come down the stairs for our one folk song of the entire set. And so they're like, and then Maita brought us the indie folk sounds, like the common, like, you know, calm, like quiet, like intimate moment. And I'm like, you like, that's just not even like, we're like, really? Like we finally played this like rock and roll show and this is, we still get the folk thing. And so, um, I, I, I get it. It's hard. We have a lot of different kinds of songs. But see, I, I never, when I listen to your music, I don't, that never entered my head of like, oh, this is all these different. I to me, there's still, it's you, and it's still like I don't go like, oh, it's all over the place. Like that never entered my head at all. I just was like, this is really fucking cool. good, and this is a great songwriter. That's what entered oh, thank, my head. Thank you, <laughs> thank you. Well, and yeah, and we owe a lot to like the fact that we it's the same people playing on all these songs, right? Um, our band. Uh, we're all like we flesh out the songs together. And I think that that ends up being the thread is just like the same four people are playing on all of these songs across the board. It's the same four brains are like filling these, filling these sonic choices and, and emotional choices and dynamics. And so I think that that ends up being the uniform quality across the board. And it's not necessarily like what genre the songs are in. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I don't, for me personally, that's what I appreciate about an album and an artist. It's like, I don't, you know, you have, it's just strange to me that people would point that out. It's like, like when, what do you want? The same song for the whole fucking album? <laughs> mm-hmm. It's absurd to me. I've always, yeah. I always have a hard time when all the songs sound the same on a record. I get it though. It's like, if you want to put something on and know the vibe's going to stay the same, like if in, in like for like a mood, I get wanting to, you know, yeah. Just put on a record and walk away and be like, it's it's good, it's set. Just make a mix. Don't be so lazy. Make a mixtape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, there's all kinds. <laughs> that's also, that's like, to me, that's like the journalist there who was like, went to watch one song. It's like, you're not doing your job either, pal. Like you. Yeah. Not- yeah. Well, not to knock them. I don't even know. Yeah. But yeah, it's, I think it was just. It was such a fun show. Everyone wanted to be outside chatting, chatting it up. I'm sure it's like. I appreciate appreciate your optimism when I was yelling at the person for not doing their job. <laughs> I try. I try to give people the benefit of the doubt as much as possible. <laughs> right, I understand. Are you a native of Portland? Uh, yeah, I was born and raised. Well, I was born and raised in Eugene, Oregon. Um, Eugene half and half Eugene and Springfield. Um, and then I moved to Portland in 2010. So I've kind of been here ever since. Yeah. It's just, it's like my town where it's like, there's not a lot of people who actually, I mean, there are a lot of, but it's mostly people who migrate there and from other cities and then, then get mad at the city's not what it used to be it's like you're not from here you can't do that (laughs) well yeah i mean and the thing is a lot of people are moved to portland um from other states too so i even feel like 
like special being from Oregon, honestly. Yeah, like, <laughs> uh, you have the right to, but yes. Well, but I mean, I don't, I don't really complain too much about how Portland's changed just because, um, I get it. It's like, wherever you go, it's like kind of your luck that you were there, um, or that you were able to go there, um, or choose to go there. It's a privilege to be able to choose to go somewhere. Um, but it's also like a privilege to be born somewhere and to be able to claim something as yours. And like, if you're not like actually like indigenous to the area, you came there somehow. Um, you were, you know, like, it's like, you don't own it any more than anyone else does. Cause that's just luck. Right. Yeah. And so. plus being upset that cities are changing. It's like, it's like cities change. Like if cities didn't change, we'd still be like have dirt roads. <laughs> like... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Portland, I, it's funny. I feel like it, like, it was really like getting shiny and pretty. Um, and then the pandemic hit and then it just kind of like has taken, uh, it's, it's started to, uh, disintegrate a little bit, I think. Um, and I don't really mind that, but, um, you know, yeah, it is what it is. I feel like, yeah, at the, pandemic hit a lot of cities and i i was mm-hmm. in i moved outside of los angeles but i was in hollywood a week ago buying records and it's just like they need to take care of people basically is what and it's painful that is true yes that is something that is we've been noticing a lot in portland is there's just a lot of houseless people and it's and it's yeah it's it's pretty hard um there's also a lot less tourists right now. And that's the part where I'm like, okay, that's, I guess that's kind of nice. <laughs> yeah. It's a guy who lives in a city that's very touristy. It's just like, after a while, you're like, can you please go away just for yeah. a little while? Yeah. I mean, we, I mean, we all have like, I have definitely some grievances about how the city of Portland is run in general. And like, we, yeah, it's during during the pandemic and the protests and everything, like a lot of, a lot of issues with the city came up and into the public view more than ever before. And, uh, it was a pretty intense time. And I I think that it's going to continue to be something that we all want to work on. Um, We'll see how how it goes going forward. Do you feel like the city got sort of unjust attention? Because I mean, it was there was a lot of the, the protesting and cops being shitty here. Cops being shitty pretty much is everywhere. But uh-huh. <laughs> but it was, and then all we did was up police budgets, and I'm just like, it's just yeah, it's upsetting. I I mean, I think Portland. Yeah, I'm sure they got unfair attention in terms of. It, you know, it wasn't, I, a lot of what was being shown wasn't like the full story. And, um, a lot of what was happening was really good and that stuff wasn't being shown. So, but I think that's probably all across the board of like the media during that time. Like, I don't think it was just Portland, you know, I just, I want to talk about your new EP. Oh, so yeah, it's actually, so that it's confusing. Um, it's not an EP. It's, part of the full record, which is coming out February 18th, but, uh, Spotify, the way that they're doing it right now, the way that the cool kids are doing it, I guess, is that they like release a song, like their singles 
when you release them, they it's called water falling. And basically it like puts them all into an album as they come out so that when people listen to the newest single, it'll automatically then trickle down to the other singles in the batch. I don't know. It's, it's boring music. No, it's not. I, stuff. Cause I didn't <laughs> know that. And I thought, I even thought Bandcamp said it was an EP, but maybe I'm insane. I don't, yeah, I don't know. But, uh, it's been I, like the first time I saw that I was confused and I was like, this is wrong. But then it, I guess it's intentional and, and that's what uh, people are doing. But I, people have been like, I love the EP. Like it's very underrated. And I'm like, that's cause it's not complete yet. Like it's not out. We haven't announced that it's out. You can't buy it anywhere. Cause it's not an EP. It's just a five, four or five singles that uh, will be part of a whole, uh, next month. And you have a big tour planned. I say that. You have a tour. Yeah. We have a tour planned. <laughs> I didn't mean to ask it that way, but because I, so many people I know are also canceling. So, and I know mm-hmm. you, your first album or not your first album, but your last album came out and it was kind of the momentum, not the, like you were going to tour. And then of course this fucking pandemic. You're right. The momentum just, yeah, it's true. <laughs> was that, uh, I mean, that must have been painful, right? To be like, we're putting out an album and we're going to do all this stuff and then have, have it just. Yeah, it was hard, but um, it was hard. And I think things kind of, it took a while for things to hit too, like emotionally of what that meant, because I, I guess like we were feeling like, okay, this is the beginning of the next phase. And then it got delayed and now we're like, I don't know if it's the beginning of a new phase yet. Cause everyone's, it's just like so many stops and starts. Um, but yeah, we, we do have to, a tour coming up. It's uh, a lot of West coast dates. We're going like as far East as Denver. And then we're going to make it down to like, we're going to South by and we're going to go up to Boise to play tree fort. So it'll be a substantial enough tour for us. <coughs> That's great. Yeah. And you, yeah, I think, I think it'll happen. Are you going to do more? Cause I saw that you did visual art for the last album, which by the way, your art is great. I've really Thank loved you. what I saw. Thank you. Um, yeah, I will be doing another visual album for this upcoming album. Um, I probably won't do it right away. I think the last one too, I waited. Basically what happened was I, the pandemic hit and I was, I didn't have anything to do really. Um, and so and I'm like, I'm not on tour. Uh, it would be great to have something to like give some life to this record that we just released out into the void. Um, so I think this, this time around, I will also be doing an illustrated album. I just, the timeline is TBD. Thank you. Yes. You too. Thank you. Bye. All right. Great chatting. Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with the Wire. Please become a Patreon subscriber if you like. Also, subscribe to the show on your iTunes or what have you not, and tell your friends about the show. That would mean a lot to me. As well as uh, go to the link tree in the show notes or themattdwire.com or Conversations with the Wire at the Instagram, and you could learn more about the show, buy merch, and all those great things. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>